welcome to the Stalk and I podcast for single women considering solo motherhood by donor conception. I'm your host, Mel Johnson, the solo motherhood coach and solo mum to a three-year-old daughter. For series three of the podcast, I've interviewed a variety of people who share their personal stories, providing a collection of different perspectives of paths to parenthood. In today's episode, I speak to Louisa Payton. I came across Louisa when one of the ladies on my Choosing Solo course recommended the book, Single, Again and Again and Again. I read the book and absolutely loved it. It really resonated with me. It mirrored my own experiences so closely. It was so easy to read, I flew through it in a few days. I was so excited when I reached out to Louisa and she was happy to chat to me about her journey to solo motherhood and the book she's written all about it. Louisa, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. You're welcome, Mel. Basically, on my group coaching course, one of the ladies recommended a book to me. And um, I take all, I'm an absolute book lover, and I take all recommendations of books. So I took it down, it was in my pile of books to read. And then I read it, and I was like, what is this book? This is amazing. And it was your book single again and again and again I love the title and I thought to myself after reading it well now there is no point me ever writing a book because (laughs) it's pretty much identical to my experiences so I'm so happy that you said yes to come and chat to me because I loved the book so much and I really think so many of my audience will, will also love it so I wanted to speak to you a bit more about it So before we get into it, do you want to give yourself just a little bit of an introduction before we get into some of the details? Yeah, sure. So I'm Australian. So hello to to everyone out there all across the globe. So I am now in my late 30s. But when I was in my mid 30s, mid to late 30s, I was really, really struggling to find the one or find my happily ever after, my soulmate, as society describes it. And I'd had quite a string of failed relationships. I had tried my best and um, certainly given it my best shot in terms of, uh, I guess, fulfilling the expectation of society, but also my own expectations in regards to finding someone and getting married or settling down and having children. But it just didn't happen. And so I had a biological clock, as unfortunately we all do. And, um, And so I decided to go down the path of becoming a single mother by choice. And when I did that, I had so many people ask me questions and and so many people wanting to know about my journey. So I ended up writing my story. And and yeah, so I'm just really glad that I've put the book out there. I'm I'm very excited to know that there's people out there that are enjoying it. So what I love about it is you start off with your original plan. And I think this will just resonate with so many people. So yours was so similar to mine, slightly (laughs) earlier, but you know, you had your very clear idea when you wanted to meet someone, fall in love, get married, have children. I know for me, I had a plan to get married at 29 and have children at 30, which is exactly what my mum did. And actually, I was on track for that. I was engaged, the the wedding was happening, I was going to be 29 and then 
that did that did not happen I think your original plan was a little bit younger than that wasn't it I think you wanted to. it was I I just deemed 30 to be old and uh it's funny saying that now because I look back and I cringe because uh, 30 is so young but uh when I was in my late teens and early 20s 30 was like a you know a deadline and so I did want to be married and have children before I hit that 30 cutoff originally Mm. and then as time progressed and as my plan kept changing because I kept having these these failures as and and I don't like to call them failures now but at the time that's what they felt like Mm. and uh, so my life plan kept uh, being pushed aside and so I was squashing it up and squashing it up and to the point where I went okay I don't really need children by 30 and I didn't want them at that stage anyway but I still wanted to know that it was going to happen and I still wanted to find the one and be settled in that relationship by 30 and uh yeah it just didn't happen and so I kept changing the plan over and over and over again I call it the the baby calculator and I think so many people do it we do it in our heads don't we to say well if it takes me six months to meet someone and I date them for two years and then we try to catch it blah 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 I'll be this age and and then you're, you're like okay for me it was like if I meet someone tonight and get pregnant yes I'm still gonna be you know older than I hope to be yes I I can relate completely yeah so um so you your fairy tale your plan entailed meeting someone um Mm. and the book what I love about the book again so relatable (laughs) is your tales of trying to meet um this person um so would you say I mean I've read the book so I know but for the people who are listening would you say you sort of like gave it everything to try on the dating oh my goodness I gave it everything and uh, I'm quite a focused person um I don't actually say this in the book but in other aspects of my life, um, you know, I've got a, a really nice career and and I've travelled overseas lots and I've bought property. I've, I've had a great life and I'm so focused and uh, and and dedicated. But if I when I put that focus and dedication into my love life and chasing men, they don't like it. It's like you're too, you know, you're a stalker. Not no, not really. But but they, you know, I can't. I couldn't use the same approach to life that I did in my dating, but. I gave it everything and and even to the point when I just wanted to buy time at one point so I was 36 I just wanted to buy time so I had this epiphany oh my goodness I'm going to freeze my eggs and that's when I went to the fertility clinic who was lovely and uh, the first time the fertility specialist had said to me oh why don't you consider being a single mother by choice I'm like oh my goodness I I didn't come in here to to have someone else's baby I came in here to buy some time what are you doing and um it was actually through that process that I realized that freezing my eggs at the time wasn't going to be an option for me Uh, as a mathematician that my my uh my maths brain came out and went oh my goodness that's uh you know too many failed pregnancies not alone let alone failed relationships before I would potentially get a live birth and so I acknowledge technology's changed but I came out of there very very defeated and uh and so I then went into immediately into internet dating which I hadn't done at the time and so I gave it everything like I, I seriously can't I didn't leave any stone unturned and it just didn't work it wasn't meant to be I think why I found your story so relatable is because 
you wanted to meet someone but if at the same time you were living your best life and you were getting a great career and you were traveling and I think so many people relate to that that everything else is going great but they just Mm. cannot meet that that one person that they're looking for I think one of the common themes well I think there's two common themes one is that you are like a strong independent woman yes and the other is that you've worked and lived abroad and I just see so often that that is the story of a solo mum do you think that has something to do with not being able to meet someone I it's an it's a chicken and egg and um and it's an interesting to think which comes first because I I think back and at the time I would have taken a solid relationship, right? So at the time, I wanted my soulmate. I wanted my happily ever after, and I would have taken that if it had presented itself. And there were periods of time because I've had you know, over a dozen <laughs> relationships that didn't work. There were certainly periods of time where I was just willing to to have my happily ever after. But when it didn't happen, that's when I opened my horizons and went okay what is out there and it was actually my being single that gave me the opportunity to then go overseas it gave me the opportunity to move countries and it gave me the opportunity to have career advancements because my relationships weren't working and and so I I I talk about this later in the book and I question would I have had a successful career as successful if I had been with one man in one place and the answer is no, 100% no. I wouldn't have had those career opportunities that I had because I was able to move around, but I didn't actually choose to move around and forego a relationship. It was it was the opposite. It was I, I took those opportunities purely because I could. I wholeheartedly agree. I am exactly the same. Someone mm. once said to me, you know, which of us is saying, you know, um, I rejected that offer of a, of, a, of a lovely relationship with an amazing man because I was climbing the heady heights of my career. No one's done yes. that. We no. just didn't find it while yes. pursuing our career. Yes, yes. And, and what's nice is that I, I sometimes speak to women who they're holding back because of wanting a man and it's hard to watch that. And, and so it is what it is. If your relationship didn't work or if you didn't find someone, that, that's hard enough without then actually, you know, giving up opportunities that present themselves, you know. So it, it's a fine line and, and you've just got to sort of, you know, accept life as it comes and, and embrace those opportunities, whatever they are. And if you've got the opportunity to, you know, take them on board, then why not, you know. So So what made you make the final decision to stop with the life plan and and reevaluate? And it was it was a combination of many things. And the going to the fertility specialist, that was the first time someone had actually said to me, oh, there's another plan. You know, there's another option. There's another life path. Up until that point, everyone around me, it was society, it was family, it was friends, it was the movies. Every Hollywood girl gets her guy. Everywhere around me, the girl was getting the guy in the end. 
And so it was such a deep-seated belief that I couldn't let go of. And at the time, once I had gone to the fertility specialist, I joined a forum of other single women who were potentially going down this path just to have a look and just to, you know, put my foot into the water, if you like, and seeing how many women had still in into their 40s holding on to their happily ever after, not letting go of it, but then losing all their eggs and missing out on that opportunity and their remorse was a really big factor. And on top of that, and so I knew, I could see right in front of me that, you know, there were women out there who were losing this opportunity um, purely by not letting go of that. And and some of the stories were quite sad because they'd, they'd come down a point where they would meet someone else. So they'd, they'd go down their journey of, of wanting to become a single mother by choice, get halfway through, when I say halfway, obviously not pregnant, but, uh, you know, through that journey and then meet someone and then give it all up because of that, I'm going to hold on to this happily ever after, only to find out two years later the relationship didn't work and uh, and then they had no weeks left. And so I was very conscious of that. And then on top of that, I just wasn't meeting any men because of my age. And they it was too much pressure. It was too much pressure for them as well as me. And you're having a conversation up front. Oh, so when can we get pregnant? You know, before it's like, oh, what's your surname? Oh, no, when can we get pregnant? There was a lot of factors that that led me down that path, but it was a very difficult thing to do. It is so true because I remember thinking, you know, I'll I'll play it cool, I'll give it time, I'll I'll give it till at least the third date. <laughs> That's not time. Yes, <laughs> at least the third date to talk about babies. Yes, yes, exactly. It's, and it just gets it gets you're just not in a situation that is conducive to you know and, developing. Exactly, and I, I something I say in my book is regardless how how much we try. We can't hide desperation. And desperation is a word that is not looked upon favourably, but it is what it is. And you are desperate to find someone and and start your family because of this biological clock that's about to explode inside. And you give off pheromones with that desperation. And so even if you meet some lovely man, you're, you're still giving off pheromones of desperation. And so it's it's you can't get past it and I certainly couldn't get past it and once I got in you know once I got past that 35 it was almost impossible for me to meet men and them actually take me as a serious consideration. I, I fully agree and you can try so hard and pretend but it's pretending because ultimately yes. you know what you want you can't, you can't hide yes. your innermost desires can you? Yes. And, and on top of that, I, I another thing I talk about is I had a bar that was set quite high in terms of my criteria in my 20s because I had plenty of time. And so, yes, I wanted my soulmate. I wanted my happily ever after, but I wanted the right person because the rest of my life was such a long time. I wanted to make sure it was the right person. And I was able to, you know, look at the relationships and, and say, okay, yes, I, I have my life plan. But at the same time, I'm not willing to sacrifice and not willing to just take anybody to, to have that life plan. It was a package. And then when I got to 30, I lowered my bar. So, you, you know, you lower your bar going, okay, all right, I didn't find the one in my 20s. I'm moving on. I've passed my deadline. I'm now going to lower the bar. So I started dating men that I wouldn't have dated in my 20s and I could definitely see the difference. And then when I got to my mid-30s, 
I started, there was no bar. And it's like, okay, I just, I just want a baby. I just want to, you know, a partner. And, and then in hindsight, I look back now and I am so grateful that I didn't end up with, with any of those men that were in my thirties because they weren't, they weren't what I wanted. And so now I have the opportunity. If I meet someone, I don't have a, a time bomb about to explode. I can actually, re, I reinstated my bar. Brilliant. I love it. Yeah, I, I can relate to so much of what you're saying. And you use an acronym in the book. What do you call yes. it? It's SWC 35 plus. And so I call it the sink, <laughs> the single woman who's childless over 35 and it's like a disease and so and I I apologize for any women out there who are in that situation I don't mean it to be but in jest I felt like it was a disease and so when I at the time it was like I couldn't shake this disease it didn't matter where I went I was carrying this SWC 35 plus and I couldn't get away from it so and and I had canvassed some of my male friends about whether or not they would date women in their late 30s if they were presented with two options. If you were presented with an option of dating a woman that you didn't know who was late 20s and an equally valid woman who was in her late 30s, which would you choose? And they all said they would pick the younger woman purely because they didn't want to have the pressure of choosing to have a a family immediately. And so I, I couldn't get away from that. And I wonder what their response would be if the third option was meeting someone who already had children, Um, you know, like meeting somebody of the same age, but who already had children and wasn't going to pressurise them to then immediately start having children. Because my experience is I found plenty of people are really open to that. And they actually men have seen it quite positively that they they see it positively in two ways. One, that you're a pretty strong woman who knows what she wants yes. and makes it happen and two you're not going to be pressurizing them to immediately yes. have children yes. because you've already got that so since, since ha- having my son I the dating I have chosen not to to do dating apps or or that that's just my personal choice I have had a couple of relationships in the last he's now turned 10 uh in the last 10 years but I know that it's easier. And so when I have been out there, want, you know, ha- happy to, to date, it has been in, in so much easier to well, find someone. But I've also had a lot more interest in me um, as opposed to the other way around when I was in my late 30s. So when in my late 30s, because I was holding on to that, that hope of, of a child and the desperation that follows, I just couldn't find anybody. Uh, since having my son I've definitely had offers and options I just have chosen not to necessarily pursue that for whatever reason but there's it's a different you you fall into a different category and there is an enormous amount of women out there who are single women for whatever reason and there's a lot of us out there and so once I became a single mum my identity changed and that was a really big thing for me so before having my child my whole life was centered around I guess, me and inward trying to meet this happily ever after. So it was very inward thinking. It was always, I need this. I need to find a man. I need to get my happily ever after. It's all about, you know, resolving this issue of not finding someone. And as soon as I had my son, all of that went away. And I no longer defined myself as 
um, at Esther, who said 35 plus, but the pressure went away and so my identity changed and I became a mum. And and so that in itself, I, I guess I opened up an avenue to a complete different genre of men, you know, and so and, and I was just like everyone else. It didn't matter that I was single by choice or single mother by choice. I was just a single mother and I had, you know, in our mother's group, there were mothers that were single by other means, you know, it, it, it didn't matter. Yeah, I think I think it's really reassuring for people because there is a bit of a perception um, that I'm aware of that if you go down this path to parenthood, that you will then be single forever. Um, no. And I, I think it's absolutely not the case. Maybe through your choice, but not because yes. there isn't an option. No, definitely not. And I, when I had my son to get myself out of the house because I don't have family close by and so I had a lot of logistical uh, factors that I needed to you know make sure I had covered off and ticked off uh, but I joined a meetup group and the meetup group was for single parents and that was men and women and it didn't matter how you became single no one really cared there was just a, a, a huge group of single parents that would come together with their children and and go and do social activities and there was always hookups and meetups and you know there was it was incestual but it didn't matter because there were so many uh yeah. single parents it, it did not matter at all how, how you became to be a single parent I think that's really good because sometimes it can be a little bit competitive around like who's got it the worst or the hardest or the best yeah. is it you know yes. and, and actually it's just should be about supporting each other no matter what the situation is yes but but on that what what I find interesting is I would go into mother's groups I had two and they would complain about their partners and obviously they love their partners but they would complain about their partners who they didn't change the nappies or they didn't feed the child or they didn't get up at night or they're not giving them enough sleep etc etc and I would just sit back and and smirk I guess if you like because I had changed my expectations and I didn't expect anyone to go and do that for me I accepted that that was all on me and so I had no issues where they had expectations of their partner that wasn't being delivered and therefore they were upset and they were venting. <laughs> and so I'm just sitting back going, oh, I'm, I'm happy here. I'm happy doing everything because I expect that. But, you know, it's okay for you to vent about your husband. It's all good. <laughs> I was exactly the same. And I think it's part of the same problem of our expectation of our happily ever after. It's the yeah. same of what you expect parenthood to be like and the role you expect your partner to play in that. And I know what I'm like. I am a fantasist. I've yes. watched way too many rom-coms. You know, that was yes. my happily ever after <laughs> dream. I would have been the same. I would have been wanting my partner to do something that was absolutely unachievable and, and probably yeah. feeling disappointed by it. And actually yes, yes. probably found it easier not having that and just having no expectations yes. of anyone else, sadly. Well, I, whenever my expect, because my expectations were that I would do everything, when my expectations were exceeded, I was over the moon. Yeah. You know, so if someone came and said, well, change your baby's nappy, I was stoked. Um, oh, fantastic. Okay, off you go. Because anything's a bonus when you're, yes, when you're not expecting any help. Yeah, so true, so true. 
So when you made the decision, um, what, did you just go for it quite quickly once you'd made the decision? Yes. And so once, so I'd, I'd gone to see if I could freeze my eggs and that was in the January and I was, I was 36 and I was turning 37 at the end of the month. And so that was yet another, another date getting closer and closer to biological clock explosion. And when I'd gone to the fertility specialist, he'd shown me this graph and I call it in the book, the graph of horror, which is effectively your fertility plotted against your age. And basically in that graph at 38, it falls off a cliff. I mean, you still got some there, but at that point in time, I had potentially an 8% chance of having a child and it was going to drop down really quite significantly as soon as I would passed that 38 mark. And so I was very conscious of that in my head. And yes, yeah, so once I came out of the, the clinic and the, the doctor had suggested I go and have a child with someone I don't know, I'm like, oh, thanks, but no thanks. It was it was a foreign concept for me. So I, I hadn't been able to process it and think about it. But there was actually an enormous amount of decision-making and belief changes that I needed to do in my head because I never aspired to be a single mom. And what I realised is that I was carrying some beliefs that were not fair towards single mothers and I was attaching a stigma to single mothers that was incredibly unfair and unreasonable. And I all of these issues came up and it's like, oh, I've never aspired to be a single mum. I came from a, a family where my father passed away when I was young and so my mother was a single mother for the majority of my life and I didn't like that. And so, and I didn't like that for a number of reasons. It was purely selfish and at the time all of my friends had had parents that were together. But that's another story in itself and I don't really talk about that too much in the book. But when I realised later on it wasn't that she was single that I had a problem with. There were other factors that I had a problem with. I just associated that with it being a single parent. And so when I was able to separate the two and go, okay, it's not because she's a single parent that I've got the issues. There's many other issues for another day. Um, I was able to reason that, okay, well, that that's a separation. But then aspiring to be a single mother, that belief had to be formed. And I, I had to do a lot of self-reassessment and, and a lot of soul-searching in order to, I guess, want this and know and embrace this and believe that this was actually the right thing to do. And, and so that was all going on in the back of my mind. At the same time, I had come out of that clinic and effectively rang up my friend and said, get me onto internet dating. It, it, it wasn't even like an hour or two hours. It's like, oh, my goodness, quick, 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 I've got to hurry up. And so I'd immediately gone onto internet dating and, um, and I'd had the most disastrous relationship and disaster, not as in heartbreak, but disaster in, oh my goodness, this man is so bad, so bad that if he's a reflection of what is left out there for me to choose from, I give up, I'm done, I'm over it, I'm not having another one of these. And I just thought to myself, if I had to wake up next to you, I, I was with him for four months <clears throat> and I tried very hard to convince myself that he could be the father of my child, that he could be someone I could live with. And I thought after four months, I think, I thought to myself, what am I doing? Like this is never going to be my happily ever after. This man is never going to fit any criteria. What am I doing? And uh, 
And that scared me. And when I realised how bad he was, and look, he, he wasn't evil. He was just so far from what I would consider a compatible match that I thought if I had given in to that and I would have been trapped and I would have had to get divorced very quickly, I would have ended up in a messy situation and I would have had to share my child with someone that I couldn't stand. Mm. And so I, I thought to myself, if I go down this path, I have full control. I don't have to share my child with someone I don't like. I don't have to enter into some estranged relationship with the father of a child for the rest of my life with someone who I can't stand. And so the the option to go down that single mother by choice path became so much more um, attractive as a the, because of this man. And then at the same time, I was dealing with all of my belief issues. And, and I got to the point where I completely fully embraced it and became so excited about it and really rejoiced it. And I'm like, yep, I'm ready for this. And so once I was made the decision, that was it. I, I wanted it done and I wanted it done that month. It was like, wow. no, no, I, I don't want to wait any longer. I think what you've described there is so important, though, because with all of our deeply embedded beliefs about what happily ever after looks like and um, it's yes. really difficult to let go of those because you don't even yes. realize that you've got them they're just so yes. entrenched from everything that we've seen and yes. um, it becomes yes. very difficult to reverse that and I think it clouds so many of our judgments um, so yes. so many women I speak to say that they've made poor choices because they just want to get to that end goal that they're trying to do whereas actually if you look at it and say the alternative is potentially being with someone who I don't even like in the future and and having to navigate parenthood with that it'd be so much harder and it's so good to think that through as the alternative And another thing I really considered was, is it fair bringing a child into their universe knowing that it's only got one parent? And and I reconciled that as well. And it's all about love. At the end of the day, I've watched children who've had parents that neither parent really give them the time of day. And um, and they've turned out, you know, very bitter and and with a lot of, you know, self-worth issues and a lot of um, problems. And when I look at my journey, I, as I mentioned before, I had an interesting relationship with my mother who is lovely now and we've reconciled, but I ended up living with my aunt and uncle who were a generation older than my mum from 12 onwards. And they weren't my biological parents, but they loved me. And so it didn't matter. It didn't matter. I, my relationship was them, with them was better than anyone I, I had ever been exposed to, yet they weren't my biological parents. And I feel blessed that I was able to, to have them in my life. And so it didn't matter that they weren't blood. And so when I made the decision to go down this path, I never expected that I wouldn't meet anyone else. It was just like, well, I'm now just at this point in time where I need to make the decision. If I meet someone else later on, great they will be able to love that child as well. And so, and, and whether I do or not, it doesn't matter. At the, I will love this child and this child will, will have, you know, a very happy home life with one parent, you know. And so I, I reconciled that that was a perfectly fine thing to do. 
I think it's it's so useful for people to hear because so many people are asking themselves the same question. So I think it'll be really helpful for people. Yeah. So you said that, so then you wanted to go ahead with treatment like that month. So is yes, that what you then yes. did? Once I'd made the decision to, to go down that path, as I said, I wanted it done that month. So I'd, I'd come out of the relationship, I call him the towel guy. So in my book, I call him the towel guy, and, and you'll have to read it to find out why. But, uh, <laughs> yes. And, and so I came out of that, and once I knew that everything was fine and by, by I, I, I guess, getting my period and, and moving forward, so I knew that there was no attachment whatsoever to that uh, dud, if you like. So once I knew there was no attachment to the dud, I then decided, okay, that's it, I'm going down the path. So I booked my appointment to the fertility clinic, and by that stage, eight months had passed so it was it was in the August of that I'd gone to see him in the January so I went back and I said to him oh do you remember me I'm I'm the one you said you know potentially I should go and have a child on my own and he's like oh yes 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 and um and he got out his books to start talking about a plan and I'm looking at it going oh you're you're talking months I'm talking today right and I said to him oh, no, no I didn't want you to give me a plan for a month you know months down the track I'm ready now and he's like oh oh okay and 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 I went you yeah, know no, I want to go this month and he goes oh we better get you up on the stirrups yeah <laughs> and so he took me he took me into the room next door into the the uh the treatment room and and checked everything he goes oh okay yes well you've got um you've got some healthy eggs in there we can we can try to do IUI which is intrauterine insemination and for those that are going down this path there's a, a number of ways that you can do this and Intrauterine insemination is basically where you use your own cycle of eggs. You don't actually, um, it's not an IVF process where you uh, promote egg production. You're using your own cycle. And then at the end of the month, you give yourself a needle to release the egg at a certain period of time and then take the sperm to the doctor with the sperm. Sperm then gets inserted directly into your uterus. And so I, I talk about in the book as a, you know, a, a foot long needle but it's not really it's uh and I didn't even notice it at all but uh and it happened within seconds and so once I'd made that decision I, I said to the doctor I want to do this straight away and so he put me up on the chair looked at everything and went okay you can actually go this cycle and uh he said but you've effectively got a week or less than a week and you've got to go and tick off all these boxes I had to go and see a counsellor I had to go and see a nurse to talk through the the process and I had to go and pick my sperm and so literally I walked out of the clinic, got on the phone, booked all of the three appointments and went, okay, I'm done. I'm ready. I'm booked within the next few days and, uh, and then proceeded to, to go through the process and tick those off. And, um, yeah, and so I, once I'd made the decision, that was it. I was, I was ready to go. And you did IUI? Yes. Yeah. I was very, very fortunate. And so as I mentioned before, I was on a forum where I was, not necessarily talking, but just reading other people's stories. I wasn't overly active on the forum because I wasn't confident enough to, to be an active member of the forum, but I just wanted to see uh, what other women were doing. And there's forums in almost every country, well, not every country, but, you know, first world countries where they offer this, this service. And I just wanted to sort of peek into other people's lives, I guess. And and I think it's great, Mel, what you're doing because, you know, you, you offer these, you know, real life real scenario um services to women that are traveling a parallel journey and uh 
And so I think that is fantastic because sometimes you just need to talk to someone who has done this before, talk to someone who knows what this is and, and can guide you on that journey. And so, so yeah, so I was very, very fortunate with the IUI because I had seen many women on the forum that had had multiple tries and, and didn't actually get, get there in the end. And so I knew it would be a tough battle, but I did go down the IUI path and I was very grateful to have it happen the first time. So it's not, that's not normal, but it did. It did happen. Amazing. Amazing. And how did you find solo motherhood when you had your son? What was your experience of it? Yeah. Yeah. Look, I am the most fantastic memories. I've had some beautiful times when I, so when I was pregnant, I was happy. I was happy the whole time I was pregnant because I had this whole new world that I was now getting ready for, a whole new identity I was getting prepared for. And so my mind shift was completely changed. And so pregnancy was a joy for me, right? So even though I was on my own, I was going to the appointments on my own, I was just so happy to be creating this life form and and to know that I was going to be a mum. And then when I I had my son, ironically, I ended up going into labour completely on my own. So, but I was okay with that. And I was perfectly okay because it's like, well, you know what? This is the universe. It's showing me that if I can get through this on my own, I can do anything on my own. And that's a good thing. You know, that don't look at this as a sadness that I'm doing this on my own. Look at this as a strength. And, you know, I'm be proud of myself. I'm proud of myself for being able to be resilient and strong and and have that courage to go through and do this on my own. And when I did have my son, look, I was floundering at first. So don't don't pretend like you'll you'll have this magic wand and go, oh yeah, you know what you're doing. But all mothers are like that. At the end of the day, for your firstborn, you're floundering. You don't know, but it, you know you love the child. You know not to drop it. You know to feed it. You know that it's got to get sleep sometime. And you just find your way. And so, yeah, the first few weeks were like, oh my goodness, will I ever get sleep again? <laughs> But you just find a way. And and interestingly, your body forgets a lot of the bad stuff. So your brain forgets a lot of the bad stuff. And and so I remember all the good times. And it, it takes me a while to remember some of the, I, I guess, the frustrations that I had because, you know, there's just so many happy memories. And um, I guess with your son being 10 now, did you talk to him about, you know, his conception from the beginning? How has that all gone? Yes. Yeah, it's been really fascinating. So I, when I went to the counsellor, uh, he was brilliant. And so I thought I was going in there to be interviewed. <laughs> I thought oh, I, was, I went in there armed with all this information. I am sane. I, you know, I promise I, I'll look after this child. And it was nothing like that. He was just the most amazing counsellor. And he said, look, I'm here just to talk to you about what to expect and how to talk to your child. And uh, he said he recommended that I tell my child early about how he came to be because and treat it very much like adoption. And so they promote that with adoption, you tell them early so that there's no trust issues. You don't want them to go down a path feeling like they've got something that they, you know, they didn't know. And so from a very early age, I told my son about the seed story, which I talk about in the book. Mm -hmm. So in the seed story, effectively from a young age, I said to him, well, I wanted a baby. So I went and purchased a seed and I put that seed in my belly and then you grew and then you came out. And then as he got older, and he loved that story, the seed story, 
And then as he got older, I then told him more and more. And, you know, where he actually came out of, it wasn't my belly button. <laughs> and, uh, and, then, and then to the point where it's like, well, the seed came from America because he's a, an American donor. And then the seed is now actually, you know, I guess semen. So he knows that now at 10. And he, he's embraced that. And even to the point where he, he we use the word donor, okay? So that was um, a choice that I made from discussions with the counsellor to use the word donor because if you use the word dad, there is a, there is a belief attached to the word dad and there is a, an expectation attached to the word dad and they may feel abandonment. And so I use the word donor so to be very clear so that there's no abandonment issues. And so we've always used the word donor. So he's got an American donor, but he knows he's half American, right? And so he really embraces that. So even at school now, I get really proud of him. So he was class captain uh, for last year and also this year, and he had to get up and do his speech. And he gets up and says, well, yes, I may be half American, but I'm going to work for you and I'm going to do this. And so he really embraces that, that part of him, but he doesn't, and, and he accepts that part of him. And we've got a donor profile there, so we've we've talked it through, but only just recently. It's only when he was nine that, that we really talked through that. But he's fine with it. And we've I've even talked to him about a sibling registry with the, the donor sibling registry mm -hmm. and whether or not he'd be interested in that. Mm -hmm. And at this point in time, he's not. He's like, no, I'm not ready for that. And that may come later. And so I guess with the curiosity factor, if he wants to go down the path of, of looking at the, the donor uh, sibling registry then then I will do that and uh, but we we don't focus on it a lot it only comes up every now and then but probably on Father's Day it mm. comes up and we have the discussion mm. and uh, yeah he's fine and has he ever said see my daughter she's only three and sometimes she already has sort of said I want a daddy um because all of her friends have got one she yes. wants she wants whatever yes. toy their friends have got um so not very often but now and again I think when she's been surrounded by yes. people where she's seen the mummy and daddy she's she's yes. sort of said that have you ever been through that yes uh, I was fortunate to have I was in a relationship for four and a half years uh, in the 10-year period. So I was very fortunate that there was a period of time where he did have uh, a male role model in his life, although it was long distance, so it was half-half time. And so I was very fortunate to have that. But I've been single again now for two years and, um, and, and I was single for, you know, four years, four and a half years before that. Uh, and so, look, there's... We talk about it a lot and at the moment, interestingly, he doesn't want me to meet anyone else right. uh, because he's really excited to have me to himself mm. and I know that that will change. I know there's going to be a time when he doesn't want to hold my hand and he doesn't want me around. So I'm kind of just embracing that at the moment and I, I, so I, I'm not in a hurry to meet anyone just at the moment because he's, he's very happy with the two of us but that there may be a time again when he, he says, okay, well, I want you to meet someone. But he has actually given me strict instruction about what he wants. Ah. He said, okay, I, I want someone who's not, not too uh, strict. I want someone who's uh, going to play games with me. I want it's, it's all Brilliant. about him, of course. Brilliant. <laughs> I'm like, oh, oh, my goodness, okay, all right. How about we just be the two of us? How about that? <laughs> Might be easier. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. brilliant. Um, and so then what made you uh, write the book? What inspired that? 
my son would have been four and a half when I started writing the book. And I was, I had a book in me, so I wanted to write a book. And I'd, I'd been to some writing courses and I like writing. And so with my work, I do do a lot of writing and I do a lot of presentations and workshop facilitation. So I do like getting my voice out there. And so I had a book inside me and I was going to pick a different topic. And my writing coach at the time, uh, she'd have coffee with me. And every time we would do examples on, on writing, I would always talk about my experience becoming a single mother by choice. And I'd light up and I'd, I'd be happy about it. And she herself is now a, uh, I, I assume she's still single, but she's unmarried and she's in her 30s. And she was the one that said, I really think you need to talk about your journey to becoming a single mother. And in, in the front of my book, you'll see a dedication to Laura. And she was actually my writing coach. And she's English, by the way. So she's over in England, lives in England. Bye. She was the one that really inspired me to take that step because I wanted to do it. And I, I wanted to, to talk about it. I just needed that extra bit of courage to go down uh, that path. But once I'd made that decision as well, I thought to myself, oh, I've got all these people that are asking me questions. I've got so many people asking me about my journey, about my decision. And I, I realised then that, well, this is a voice. And, you know, I'll put it out there. And I was so happy to do it. Once I made the decision, I was very happy to do it. We've talked a little bit about, you know, the narrative that's out there in society. Do you think that this can hopefully go some way to changing that narrative a bit? Do you think it needs changing? Yes, I think there's a lot of things that need changing. And it's that whole reticular activating system. Once you open up your mind to something, you see it everywhere. It's like when you decide to have a buy a car or you buy a red car, you see them everywhere. And so once I decided on this journey, I see women in that in the situation that I was in, I see them everywhere. And so I I just want to get my message out there or your message or our message out there mm. just to say that this is an option and it's actually a fantastic option. Mm. And so there's so many things that I want to change. Uh, if I could, obviously I can't magic, wave a magic wand. Mm. But um, the whole notion around being single and the stigma of being single mm. has to change. Mm. And I even had a conversation with a colleague at work yesterday and, and it's like his, his comment was, oh, I'd hate to be single and he's been married for 30 years. And I'm like, no, that's, that's you, you've already, before you've ever, ever been single, you've already applied a belief to this being single that it is the worst thing in the world. Mm. And and I think my life's better than yours. <laughs> you know, So I sit there and think, hang on, I think I'm having a much better fulfilling life than you know you know, no disrespect, but I actually like my life and I wouldn't give up my life for yours in a heartbeat. And so yeah. it's changing your perspective and having people change their perspective that being single is actually, you know, can be a very rewarding thing and and it doesn't have to be forever. So people think, oh, you're single, therefore you must be single forever. Well, no, the statistics show that people come in and out of relationships all of the time and, uh you know, one of the things I say in my book, it's like, well, I'll just be a stepmom. You know, I'll just, I'll just, uh, <laughs> you know, I'll meet, I'll meet someone who's who's divorced. It's like, okay, there'll be a whole batch of them coming through. You know, so there's fifty percent of marriages that that end in divorce, and so there's going to be always men coming back onto the, you know, there to to trial and to test. There's always going to be more coming onto the platter. It's okay. There, there'll be more. There'll be more coming. It's just accepting, you know that society does perceive being single as a negative 
and I would love to change that. And I would love to start conversations about how much pressure happily ever after puts on young girls. And it's an it's a difficult pressure and it's an unfair pressure. And reading fairy tales where the the woman has to rely on a man to succeed dis, disempowers women. You know, we as we as women are expected to rely on a man for our happiness. And I really don't like that. You know, I really want to start conversations about you know this needs to change and uh you know we need to empower ourselves and we don't need a man and there's nothing wrong with men by the way you know there's relationships are great if you're in a happy one you know and being single is great just be happy I think I think it's so good that you say that as well I'm exactly the same it's like I'm absolutely not saying we don't need men let's just do it all do it on our own it's saying this is an option you choose the right path for you don't make bad decisions because you think you need that like have all of the information available and choose the best path sort of thing it is and and it's playing the cards you were dealt at the end of the day we don't get dealt the same cards and that's okay. And so you make your biggest and best life out of what you have. But knowing that life is fluid and life changes and you might be single one day and then before you know it, you could be in a relationship. You can be blink and you're in a relationship and you can blink and then be single again. And life changes and it's accepting that and it's accepting that happiness is the goal, not status. You know, status is not the outcome. The outcome is to be happy. And if you're in a toxic relationship, then have the courage to be single. Happiness is is what we're looking for. I think that's an amazing place to end it because that is just like, (laughs) that is exactly what we need to remind ourselves. Happiness is what we're looking for. And that's not pre-described by a certain outcome. It's whatever is right for you and whatever is making you happy really, isn't it? Oh, well, thank you so much for taking the time. I'm going to link to your book um, in the notes of the podcast, Single, again and again and again. I really loved it. And I know that lots of my audience, I'm sure they'll also really love it. It's been lovely. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Stalk and I podcast, I'd hugely appreciate if you rate, review and subscribe. I look forward to seeing you again next week.